Shall we pray together? Gracious, sovereign, and holy Lord, cleanse us of all unrighteousness that we might be fit vessels to sit at your feet. Father, we know that if your Holy Spirit does not go before us, nothing of any eternal consequence will happen. So, Lord, we just pray that you'd be pleased once again to open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please be seated. I'm glad to see some teenagers with us today, some young people, because this is a history lesson for you that can be of great encouragement to you as you determine how to become a detectable disciple in your own environment. But it's also something that we older folks, those of us who are over the hill, we need to learn the same thing. So this is really for our teenagers because we've begun a study last week of the young man named Daniel who was a young teenage boy subjected to some very unusual circumstances. So let's give some attention again to Daniel's response to the unusual circumstances in which he found himself thrust not by his own choosing, but by God's sovereign grace. In a world that has compromise as its standard of operation, those of us who are in Christ are called by an uncompromising God to be the means by which he's going to demonstrate the fact that he is holy. We have been chosen to be the means by which God is going to put his life on display. Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. Now, our earthen vessel, the clay pot, the jar of clay, is the recipient of a treasure. And that treasure is the very life of God through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are the earthen vessel. He is the treasure. And notice the purpose. To show that the all-surpassing power comes from him and not from us. All he really wants to do, dearly beloved, is he just wants to put his life on display. And he's chosen us to be the means by which we do that. Thus, we have to be distinguishable from the world's manner of operation if we're going to fulfill that godly purpose. That is our high calling in Christ, to which we've been set apart Therefore, we must lead a very distinguishable and detectable life. Now, that's why we're studying the book of Daniel. He was a young teenage boy subjected to some very unusual circumstances, and we're examining his response as a means of teaching us how can we be a detectable disciple in our culture? How can we be a Christian in an unchristian world? And Daniel models for us today the very first characteristic of a detectable disciple, and that is an uncompromising spirit. A detectable disciple has an uncompromising spirit. Now, Daniel is subjected to a well-thought-out, predetermined, brainwashing plan to assimilate him into a culture that was foreign to his own, to assimilate him into the Babylonian culture. If you recall from last week, he was exposed to a re-education process by teaching him heathen wisdom. That would be verse 4. He was also exposed to a reorientation of his lifestyle, and that was by the induction of heathen food. You'll see that in verse 5. And then also a redefining of who he was in his personhood by giving him new names, heathen names, and that was verse 7. So notice the response of Daniel. He accepted two of the three, but he said no to one of those. He could accept the education because there had some value to it. Yet he still had to sift through the truth, the good and the bad, to find out what was true and what was false. Now we see evidence that he did this later on in the other chapters of the book of Daniel. 
Now, he could also accept the name change because you could change his name, but you could not change his heart. He still, by having his name changed, he knew because of his parenting teaching that his name was written in God's book of life as a son of the true king. But Daniel said no to the third. Yes to the education. Yes to the renaming. But he said no to eating the king's food and drinking the king's wine. He purposed in his heart. Notice verse 8. The word purpose there literally means to set upon his heart. Daniel set upon his heart. In other words, he resolved, as the new NIV translates it. I like the translation of the New American Standard. It says that Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself. Now, the word defile is a Greek word which means to pollute with an ugly stain. In other words, Daniel determined, made up his own mind, that he was not going to pollute his own lifestyle by partaking of the delicacies that Nebuchadnezzar was offering him from the king's table. So we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the big deal about the food? Why the education he could accept? Why the renaming he could accept? But why didn't he accept eating the king's food? Nebuchadnezzar had made abundant provision for these young men, these young teenage boys. And so their life was really a life of luxury, not deprivation. They were given portion of the king's food right from his own table and portion of the king's wine right from his own wine table. But notice, Daniel knew this, that the food that was offered to him did not conform to the requirements of the Mosaic law. Also, there were many things that were forbidden for him to eat that came from the king's table and the king's wine table. So to partake of such things, Daniel would say, if I partake of this food which is forbidden by the Mosaic law, it will defile myself. I will pollute myself with an ugly stain, and I'm not going to do that to my lifestyle. So Daniel purposed in his mind not to defile himself by eating something that was contrary to the law of Moses. Further, without any doubt, the food that had been offered to Daniel no doubt was offered and sacrificed to false gods. And Daniel also knew this, to partake of such food would be contrary to Exodus chapter 34, verse 15, part of the Mosaic law, where the Jews were forbidden to eat flesh that was sacrificed to foreign gods. Now, there'd be similar problems with Daniel drinking the king's wine to abstain from the Old Testament prohibition against what we call strong drink. You can read about that in Proverbs 20, verse 1, and Isaiah, 55, Isaiah 5, 11. The word strong drinks is the original translation. Jews customarily diluted their wine with water. Sometimes they would dilute three parts water to one part wine. Others would dilute it with six parts water and one part wine. Others would go even ten parts of water and one part wine. The Babylonians did not dilute their wine. And so Daniel knew that for him to partake of strong drink would be a violation of the Mosaic law, and therefore he purposed in his mind, he made up his mind, I'm not going to defile myself contrary to the law of Moses, which is my guideline that I learned from my parents. So Daniel knew that entering the world's system and the world's lifestyle would corrupt him and defile him quicker than the world's education process. He knew this. If I engage in the lifestyle of the Babylonians, that's going to defile me more quickly than embracing their educational system. So Daniel did not make this decision strictly based upon that logic. Daniel's desire was to please the Lord in all the things that he did. So he resolved that even though he was in a land 
that was his foreign land, away from his friends, away from his family, away from his country. And he was involved in a culture who did not observe the laws of his own God. He purposed to say that I'm still going to treat myself as under the law even though I'm in this country, which does not follow the laws of Moses. And so he appealed to the chief court official, Ashpenaz, and says, Would you release me from eating this food and drinking this wine because it will defile me as a Hebrew young man? And we first of all see that Daniel was courageous. Daniel was determined. And Daniel was obedient to the law of God as he understood it in the law of Moses. Daniel made his decision not based upon logic, but he made his decision based upon the word of God, in his case the law, the law of Moses said, because there were strict prohibitions about what he could eat and what he could not eat. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 47 to 44 to 47. Said yes to the education. Said yes to the renaming. But said no to the food and wine. And why did he do that? Because it was prohibited by the law of Moses, the Mosaic law for a Hebrew to engage in such activity. And Daniel knew this. I will pollute myself by getting involved in the lifestyle of the Babylonians quicker by engaging in their lifestyle habits than I would be if I engaged in their education. He made his decision based upon the law of God and the word of God. Well, friends, that's what we need to do. To be a detectable disciple, we must draw the line where the word of God draws the line. That is the characteristic of an uncompromising spirit of a detectable disciple. Now, we may not always be politically correct, but we've got to make sure that we are always biblically correct if we're going to live a detectable lifestyle. Where there is a specific biblical mandate, draw the line. Don't compromise. That's what we learn from Daniel, a 15-year-old boy who teaches us a magnificent lesson in our culture where the Scripture draws the line and creates a mandate. Don't compromise if you want to be a detectable disciple. Remember, the whole point is this. God wants to give his life away through us. We are the means by which he puts his life on display. And for us to be able to fulfill that great calling, we've got to be detectable. We cannot defile ourselves by engaging in the system of this world just for the sake of political correctness. Now, the character of a compromising spirit is one that has based his or her decisions upon the mandates of the Scripture. But that also poses a problem for us. What do we do in those situations where the Scripture does not give us a clear mandate, a clear definition of what we should do? What do we do in those situations? It's what I would call the gray areas of our life. Honestly, friends, you and I live more in the gray areas of our life than we do in the biblical mandates. The biblical mandates are obvious. Those are very, very clear. And those are the ones where we draw a line in the sand and say, no, I'm not going to compromise. I've made up my mind that I'm not going to defile myself because it's contrary to the Word of God. And if I'm going to be a detectable disciple and put God's life on display and reflect His glory, I'm not going to compromise. But what do you do when you don't find a mandate? What do you do when you don't find the direction that you're looking for to make a decision? You see, the Scripture doesn't cover every situation in our life. You're not going to find out what job you should take. God's will for you and me is not a job. It's who you are, where you are. You're not going to find out what house you should buy. But you'll find a lot of instructions and tell you what kind of a person you need to be if you buy that house. But you're not going to find, thou shalt buy this house with a red roof and a green door. You're not going to find that. Nor are you going to find out what car you should buy. Nor are you going to find out who you should date or who you should marry. 
But the Scripture gives us some wonderful insights into these gray areas so that we can be like Daniel and say, I'm not going to defile myself because I'm going to sift through the information I have just as Daniel did with his educational processes because later on in the book of Daniel, you'll see what Daniel did. He took the education that he was exposed to and received, ran it through the grid of the Mosaic Law, and that helped him make his decisions. Because even in Daniel's time, there was not a clear mandate in everything that he did. But you, when you study his life, you'll notice this. His life was guided by the principles and truths of the Mosaic Law. That's our model. Our life must be guided by the truths of the Scripture, the Word of God. So what do we do in those situations in the gray area? But you don't know what to do. Does the Scripture give us some counsel? Absolutely. The Scripture gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. I call your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 and 1 Corinthians 10, 23. And Paul's writing to the church at, Con at Corinth. He gives us some wonderful instruction on how to make decisions in the gray area. Listen to these words of counsel. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Everything is permissible for me. Your Bible might say lawful. Everything is permissible. But not everything is beneficial. Then he gives us a second instruction. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible. It's lawful. But not everything is constructive. You see, we're given three principles of liberty and limitation for decision-making when the Scripture does not give us a clear biblical mandate in the gray areas of life. While we have freedom in Christ, everything is permissible. Everything is lawful. There are certain limits of the Christian life that help us fulfill our calling. Notice, the three limitations of our liberty are these. But not everything is beneficial. But I will not be mastered by anything. And not everything is constructive. There are three tests that he gives us. I call it the test of personal growth, personal edification, personal progress. The second test is the test of personal mastery. And the third is the test of personal relationships, the test of personal progress, the test of personal mastery, and the test of personal relationships. Let's take a look at these three words of counsel from the Apostle Paul. First, the test of personal progress. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. The word translated beneficial literally means to carry toward. It's a word picture of a Greek word that means you take a stick and you throw it into a stream and the stream is moving in a certain direction and you go in the direction of the stream. So what you really want to do is you want to cooperate with the movement of that stream. That's what the word means. It's beneficial. The best word in my opinion in translating it into our English language is the word profitable. All things are permissible. But not all things are profitable. Profitable for what? for cooperating with God and moving in the direction that he wants you to go for the will of your life. You've got to know yourself well enough to know that I'm strong or weak in a certain area so that you can cooperate with God. There are a lot of things that are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Art is lawful. It's permissible. So is music. So is science, athletics, entertainment, traveling. Those things are all Lawful. They're all permissible. But not all the things that you have the freedom to decide, friends, are profitable for you to cooperate with what God is doing. So you need to ask yourself this question. Is the decision I'm about ready to make, is it going to help me cooperate with what God is doing in my life? Is it going to be profitable for me to make this decision? I've got the freedom to read any book I want. 
But I know this myself well enough to know if I read certain kinds of books, watch certain kinds of TV shows, listen to certain kinds of music, it's going to stimulate things within, within me that are not profitable for me to cooperate and move in the direction that God wants me to go. So you draw a line and say, thanks, but no thanks. I've got the freedom to do it, but I'm not going to do it because I make up my mind, as Daniel did, not to defile myself with the freedom that I have in Christ. Do you understand that? It's what I call the principle of personal progress. Ask yourself this question. You've got freedom to do a lot of things in your life. But not all the freedom you have is going to be profitable. It's not going to help you jump in that stream of the direction of God's life. Remember, his purpose is this. That you and I are to reflect his glory. Is the decision I'm about ready to make in the freedom that I have, is it going to help me cooperate with reflecting the Lord's glory when I make that decision? You've got to know yourself well enough to know, friends, your areas of strength and your areas of weakness, if you're going to answer that question honestly, correctly, and truthfully. You've got to know yourself well enough to know. It's the principle of personal progress. How do I cooperate with what God is doing in my life? The most important decision I think we can make every day is this. What is the Lord doing around me? What's the Lord doing around me? Not what am I supposed to do for him, but what is the Lord doing around me so that I can join in what he's doing? I want to cooperate with that. So I ask myself the question, is a decision I'm about ready to make going to help me cooperate with what God is doing in my life? Take a look at the second principle of counsel. It's the test of personal authority. Here's another great truth for us to understand. The person committed to Christ must never submit to anything else. The person under the authority of Christ must have no other authority in his or her life. You've got to test all of your decision-making through this principle. As Christians, we assert our liberty by recognizing our limitations. And to use something, use it falsely, to have it gain mastery over us, it perishes in its freedom. We become its master, we become its slaves, and it becomes our master. Money, permissible. Knowledge. Permissible, lawful, careers, permissible. Love is permissible. They're all lawful to us. But you must not be brought under its power or you become its slave. The thing may be lawful and permissible to us, but if that particular thing, if that habit, that friendship, or that manner of thinking or passion for life gains mastery over you, have you not lost your freedom? Because you've got a new master other than Christ. All things are lawful, Paul says, but we belong to Christ. Now, you keep that balance in your life, and you'll be okay. You'll be safe. But you change that imbalance, and you're in peril. Only one is our master, even Christ. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. Paul says this, all things are permissible. You've got great freedom. But in that freedom, you've got to ask yourself the question, will this liberty that I'm exercising, this freedom that I'm permissible to use, is it going to gain mastery over me? If it does, you've got to say thanks, but no thanks. You've got to be like Daniel who would say, I purpose in my mind not to defile my body to an ugly stain by violating the truths of God's Word. 
You see, if the one thing that we pick that is innocent, legitimate, and proper, if that thing's become our master, it is no longer innocent, it is absolutely illegitimate, and it is absolutely improper because it gained mastery over you. I love to fly. I was a naval aviator. I love to fly. Wish I could do more of that, but I know this. If I could really do that, I would violate an awful lot of things that I need to do. So I have to say thanks, but no thanks. I love to do it. The last thing I flew was a P-51 Mustang from World War II last year. My last flight, probably. It was great to be back in a fighter again. I just loved it. But I came away from thinking that that's going to be my last flight. Because if I pursue this, it's a legitimate, free, permissible thing to do. I could be consumed by my desire to fly again. So you say, thanks for the freedom, but no thanks, and thanks for the limitation. There's one more. That's the test of personal relationships, the test of personal progress, the test of personal mastery, and now the test of personal relationships. This deals with our social interaction with other people. The idea here is edification or encouragement, building up. All things are lawful, but... There are some things which I might have the freedom to do may not be encouraging to you to build you up in your faith and your maturation in following Christ. Now, that does not mean that I'm a slave to your expectations or your concerns or your opinions. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying this, as Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 14, 19. We pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. And we must bear in mind that we not only have personal responsibility for our own maturation in Christ, but because you and I are are part of the body of Christ, and we have the same Heavenly Father. That's our commonality, not our ethnic background, the color of your skin, your education, your position in life. The one thing that we have in common is this. You and I in Christ have the same Heavenly Father. That means I have a responsibility to help you be encouraged in the maturation of your faith in Christ. I've got a lot of freedom to do a lot of things. But if you saw me doing certain things that I have the freedom to do, it may not be an encouragement to you. It doesn't mean I'm going to be your slave. It doesn't mean I'm going to have... Be a master to, by your expectations, but it does this, say this. I have a responsibility, because you have the same Heavenly Father that I do, to make choices that are not only good for my maturation, but also good for yours. The test of personal relationships. Well, we make a terrible, terrible mistake if we imagine that we can exercise our liberty by in the indiscriminate use of the things that are permissible and free. The tender, strong love of Jesus Christ our Lord has restrictions on our liberty and sets limits in our freedom in which Christ has made us free. And to keep within those limits is to live graciously in the liberty of the gray areas of your life, not covered specifically by the Scripture. So what does Daniel teach us? First of all, when the Scripture draws a line, and there is a very clear biblical mandate, we do not, we do not, we do not compromise. Thank you. We do not compromise. That's what a 15-year-old boy just taught us. What a great model for our teenagers. A 15-year-old boy says, when the Scripture draws the line, don't compromise. If you do, you'll defile yourself. You'll pollute your lifestyle with an ugly stain. Make up your mind not to do that. Now, Daniel had great confidence in the author of the Scripture, the Mosaic Law, as well as the content of it, so that he could make that decision. We need to have the same confidence in the author of the Scripture 
and the content and the truth of the grace of the Scripture that we can make decisions like that with confidence to say, I'm not going to compromise. In the gray areas of life, what do we do? We go to the Scripture and take all the decision-making we need to do, run it through the grid of Scripture, which says this, all things are permissible, but not everything that you can do is going to be beneficial. Everything is permissible, but you can't be mastered by anything other than Christ. And all things are permissible, but you've got to be sensitive to the encouragement factor of how it builds up the body of Christ. You see, the whole issue for us in studying the book of Daniel is this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from ourselves. We're learning, dearly beloved, what it means to be a detectable disciple. And the first characteristic is the characteristic of an uncompromising spirit. May it be so that we will be a Christian in an unchristian world for the glory of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your caring enough for us and loving us enough that you give us guidelines in the Scripture that we make decisions that are consistent with our calling. The ultimate objective of our redemption is to restore the glory of man to be able to reflect the glory of God. And Father, for us to be the ones who reflect your glory in an unchristian world, we need to be detectable. May we be like Daniel, who drew the line and had an uncompromising spirit. And may it be so for Jesus' sake. Amen.